Hey there, welcome to the Obio podcast. My name is Sofia Sanchez, a bio developer in the making. I just had a great conversation with Sabeda Rahman, one of the co-founders of Nuclear Dojo. Now, if you haven't heard about Nuclear Dojo already, let me tell you because it's it's just pretty exciting for me especially. Um, so it's the global community of biotech undergrads. Not only that, but this summer, Nuclear Dojo actually started the Dojo House, which is a co-living house, the first ever co-living house for biotech undergrads. What this means is you don't need to be studying like a biotech, precisely a major, a, a degree in that. But you, you know, people there are interested in biology, they're building there, they're interning at, or working at different companies that have to do with biotech. So I, I was really excited to, to ask Sabeda lots of questions because she's also been building a really exciting career. She's had lots of experiences in different fields. Actually, she's now working with Pillar VC, one of the main um, firms that's investing in biotech in Cambridge which is one of the main biotech hubs in the world, right? And previously she's interned at research labs, creating tissue engineering stuff. And she's also had experience in consulting for biotech startups and their communication strategies. So yeah, it's gonna be really interesting to learn from someone really young in the field and her advice for people who, who are even younger or who are just getting into the field and want to build biotech startups in the future, which is actually a goal that we both share. All right, so let's get started. Hi, Sabeda. Welcome to the Obio podcast. It's great to have you here. Yeah, <laughs> exciting. Okay, so my my first question is actually about the plant that's at the dojo house. Have you guys been able to keep it alive? No, we have not. No way. <laughs> um, yeah, we're growing daisies and they haven't bloomed yet. And it's been like a good five weeks now. <laughs> so... Okay, that, that's unfortunate. But anyways, let's now go back in history to... Um, I, I remember listening to one of the other podcast interviews you had, and you, you mentioned how you were already interested in biology in high school, right? So, like, yeah. I guess it's sometimes hard to to tell what is it about something that makes it interesting to us. So I wonder, what do you think makes biology interesting to you? Um, I just like how complicated it is. I think growing up, like, I always really liked space and, um, like, stars and looking at the sky and, like, I want to be an astronaut and then I wanted to go into physics and <laughs> physics is very complicated, hard, there's a lot of math and then um, I slowly just fell into a deep rabbit hole of biology and I feel like biology was really complicated but, like, I could see the complexity of it. Um, With physics, it's just like a bunch of particles, invisible particles everywhere <laughs> that you can't really measure unless you have like these giant like tanks. <laughs> um, but with biology, at least you can like, you know, look at a microscope and take a look at how your cells are growing and they like, sometimes they glow in the dark or like you can make them like do a lot of things and 
see kind of like it's still very small but you can kind of see it better um and it has the impact to really change someone's life like drastically um like some there's some medications that you know um, reverse certain diseases or prevent certain diseases from happening or um cure some certain types of cancer for example and it's just like seeing someone on the brink of death and then rejuvenating themselves using biology is so incredible um and you can see that change in someone's life um so like that was just something that attracted me to biology is just being able to see your work be impacted in a much relatively faster scale than other kinds of technologies that makes sense but you know this is very interesting i was also interested in space when i was younger and you mentioned like you've seen other people like that pattern of astro something and then biology yeah astronaut to biology pipeline what that's so weird <laughs> yeah okay. um even the founder of uh, selino um uh-huh. she wanted to be an astronaut too and now she's doing like laser physics with biology so it's like a very common path i feel <laughs> Yeah, and, and we're going from like the super macro world to the micro, right, with biology. So that's, that's a very interesting thing <laughs> to look at. Yeah, but <laughs> it's, even if it's micro, within that micro is a big world. So it's like, it's just, it's really the same thing at the end of the day, I feel. Like I compare space and the ocean a lot, and I feel like they both are very similar. Mm. Like the ocean is so, there's so much depth in the ocean. And no. we only know like, I think like 5% of what's in there. And we probably know like one percent of what's in space. So yeah, maybe not even one percent, but <laughs> yeah, probably less. Yeah. Okay. And so you've now done a bunch of stuff in the biotech space. You know, you've been part of different communities and started Bio Dojo, now Nucleate Dojo. Uh, you're working working with Pillar VC right uh, now, right? So, what is something that you know today about the biotech world? that you wish you would have known before? That's a good question. <laughs> um, I feel like I'm still learning so much. So like, I don't even know what I don't know. Um, I don't know if that's like a, a good way to answer that question. Um, but yeah, like there's just like so much that every day I'm like discovering about the industry that I didn't know about previously. Um, Like, you know, there's all those new technologies coming out within biotech. There's so many different applications in biotech. So it's like, you can never really know everything, I feel. Um, so I'm still kind of like getting to know, but I think something I would tell myself earlier is just put myself out there even more. Um, and people are really helpful in biology, like in biotech especially. I think labs and researchers are always willing, most of the, most of the time are always willing to talk to you um and you won't like look stupid or dumb if you like and like ask really dumb questions like i feel like everybody here wants to teach you things and wants to you know educate you and like help you learn um and so i felt like i always have to have the credentials the right credentials i have to have like a paper published so i can speak to um a really cool professor but then i started emailing them and they're super super helpful so that's really something i like Mm-hmm. And then 
you also when you were in undergrad then you were having i guess these super interesting conversations with michael right but you couldn't find maybe other people to have those conversations with yeah. what were some of those conversations how did they look like i mean yeah we just talked about like different how to apply different technologies in bio like we were working on an aging project it was an aging proposal research proposal um, when you learned about epigenetics and um playing around with like the on and off switch of the genome and seeing how that could work with aging and it's just like conversation like that like most people are just focused on like okay this protein does this thing it goes in this pathway now i have to memorize it for the next like five days till my exam <laughs> and we were like wondering like okay there's this protein there's this pathway what kind of disease can it cure what can we do with this technology can we write a proposal about it can we actually like pitch it to a lab and like go forward with it um and then michael's working on like a few covid product projects um and he was actually looking into rnai therapy as well um so it's just like actually doing something with the knowledge that we were learning in the classroom rather than just like taking it in and just like memorizing it and people would like come up to us and they're like whoa like you can do that and you're like <laughs> well we don't know yet but we could try and figure it out and see if it right. might work um so it's just like a lot of conversations like that it was really like action oriented like what can we actually do with biology right Yeah, like like the whole build with biology, like not just biology, but like actually building with it um, and thinking more of like an engineer perspective. Like engineers all the time at U of T are like building like tiny robots or like you know they're always they have there's just one area at U of T called My Hall where they just like play around with a bunch of hardware. So it's like we're kind of doing that with biology, but we just don't have the tools yet to do so. Like you can just pick up an Arduino kit and just play around with it. You can't really pick up a CRISPR case yet. And you can, but it's still not like mainstream. Right. Yeah. yeah, let's actually touch on that. Like it's it seems to me that um there there's one objective truth. Like um building with software is like way more scalable, right? You just need your computer and then you can replicate that code thousands of times. And then biology is mostly um physical things right most of which are really expensive right now so yeah. what are your thoughts on that like how can we actually get um more like mark zuckerbergs of the bio world who built stuff in their bedrooms yeah i was i just went to an event actually yesterday in boston called it was like lab automation and data scientists um and i was speaking with a couple of people there and they were just saying like we just need more standardization. Um I was actually speaking with someone from Ginkgo and they said that every lab does everything very differently and there's no like standardized like you know in Co you have like packages that like do certain things or you have like um certain ways or um certain yeah like, you just have like these are the standard ways to do a certain thing that you want to do. Um but even with bioinformatics for example there is no standardization there yet. Um but it's just like in general like with bio software and um with like what lab there's like no standard ex- there is like experiments that you can do but like it's not like uniform across all platforms mm-hmm. um to so be really and there's a couple companies out there who are trying to do this thing where like you can just build an experiment and like dra- drag and drop different things and then send it off like during Costa Rica and you send it off to like 
someone in a, in a, in a lab who can like do that experiment for you and then you get the data. And I said, you didn't have to leave Costa Rica. <laughs> um, so it's like things like that where like you can just order experiments online um, and get the data that way and then figure it out from there. But again, science is so complicated and random. So it's not as simple as like, here's five steps, give me my data kind of thing. Because um, there's so much involved in those five steps. But within those five steps, it's like standardizing like um, different ways of doing things and growing cells and culturing cells, for example, and um, running these experiments. Like for example, I did a tissue, I was at a tissue engineering lab and um, we developed this um, tool called Glance, which is gels for live uh, gel microenvironment analysis. I, I got that wrong, that's not the acronym, but like something along those lines. And you know, the channels that we've developed in the hydrogel layer were very long and rectangular. And normally they're circles. Mm-hmm. And even in a situation like that, we had to like figure out how can we analyze this faster? Mm-hmm. Because suddenly our our old platform doesn't recognize longer rectangles. It only recognizes <laughs> circles. So like things like that, um, that we can just like create to help do make faster science. But yeah, I think it'll take a while for us to be able to get to a point where you can just order your experiment online and then some robot does it for you. Um, but you know, that would be a dream. Yeah, it's kind of the, I guess, the vision that Ginkgo somehow has with their code base, right? And all their yeah. automation tools. Hopefully, yeah, they and other people can can make that happen too. Yeah, like foundries are really cool. Yeah. Like, there's still a lot of manual work involved. Really? Well, anyways, uh, so I've, yeah looked at you know the different experiences you've had in the past and in the biotech field and something I was talking about with uh, with a mentor is like the way so you you want to build a biotech startup right in the future yeah Yeah, and you see I guess these experiences as I guess an apprenticeship model I guess to get as much insights as you can so then you can use those in in your bio future biotech company right yeah yeah so i was talking about him about how that may be the best way for aspiring founders in the space so would you say that's kind of the the what you're trying to do right now and like i'm trying to think like what are different career paths for aspiring biotech founders yeah, I mean, it's very personal. Like for me, I knew I wanted to start a startup before I started like university. Um, so I actually like, you know, I did um, I did this thing called the DMZ, um, which is like a youth accelerator program for like young entrepreneurs. And from there I learned about like startups and um, it was more of a tech focused accelerator. So I mostly learned about tech. Um, but then I wanted to do bio. I wanted to do biotech. So I was like, mm-hmm. okay, how do I get like the fundamental skills? So I was like, let me just do a pure biology undergrad instead of like an engineering under degree, for example. Um, and I was like, I can learn to think like an engineer, but I can't learn biology as efficiently as I would in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was nice to have like a program for four years that would like teach me like immunology concepts and genome biology and the gene and 
albeit some classes were very boring, but <laughs> other ones were really interesting. Um, so like, yeah, from there I was like, okay, now I have the solid biology skills. Now I have to go learn about the engineering parts, the venture capital parts. Um, and so I kind of like, you know, I was exposed to everything that I need to know to build a startup. So it's like, how do I like educate myself? Like I teach each of these domains so I can like be a really well-equipped founder in the future. Um, so now that I'm building on like my wet lab skills and my scientific skills, um, I decided to do some like marketing around BioDojo, for example, and branding and like storytelling and scientific communication. Um, so then I work with Oprah Bio and like helping, you know, with their um, with their content and building community around what they're doing. Um, and then from there, I kind of learned how to condense really complicated science into like a really good story. And then I decided to um, work in venture capital. Um, so I joined Pillar. And from there, you know, I'm learning about like how to like, again, like what makes a really good biotech company, what industries I should focus on. Um, and I feel like I'm kind of ending near like my own self-education path where it's like, okay, I have like the scientific knowledge and developing the business backgrounds. I kind of developed a lot of the biz- key business skills through BioDojo, for example, um, through raising money for the house, getting speakers, workshops, applications, like mm-hmm. basically interviews, like and recruitment and pushing like marketing and everything. Um, and then with Pillar, I'm just like learning about like what science I should focus on, what, how do I identify markets? How do I identify the right customers? What people are building on right now? What people are working on right now? What's work, what works, what doesn't work? Um, so that when I go to start a company, I like have the tools needed in my toolbox to like pick from like everything that I kind of developed over the years. Um, and so, yeah, it's just like really educating myself on like my own knowledge gaps and figuring out like what experiences do I need to feel more confident to start a company. Um, and I figured Pillar was like the last end. Um, so I plan to go back to school like um, in May of 2023 and really focus more on um, potentially like tissue engineering um, and just helping develop more models for modeling like the uterus, for example. Um, and I could see my tissue engineering skills out from first year really apply to an area that's very underlooked right now, which is like women's health and sexual reproductive health. Um, you know, I just got off a call with someone who said, one VC said it was a niche industry, but how is it niche if like 50% of the population <laughs> is like, is there is your customer, right? No. Um, and it's like, like people are suffering from like endometriosis like all the time and it doesn't get diagnosed till like seven and a half years later. So it's like, how is that niche? <laughs> so it's like, you know, working on problems there and figuring out how do I hone in all my skills on a problem um, within like the reproductive health area. Um, so that's kind of what I'm spending a lot of my time at Pillar doing. It's just like helping people, learning about the space and helping people start companies in this area, including myself one day, hopefully. Right. It's like you're reverse engineering the toolbox you need, right? And getting exactly. all these different experiences. So Pillar sounds interesting. What are some of the insights you've got so far from the VC world? Yeah, well, I've only worked there for like two-ish weeks. I'm sure I'll have plenty to say like after my nine-month term. But yeah, what I've learned is it's a lot of like talking to people and sourcing um, because you want to get, you want to find talent before like other firms do or other people do. Like you want to make sure you can like 
foster that talent and, you know, build a relationship with them. So it's a lot of like relationship building and, you know, Pillar is all about ecosystem building. They do a, a, like a phenomenal job at it too. Like the events that they host are really well thought out and you feel very, you know, welcomed and comforted and you feel like you're part of a community and, you know, fostering that ecosystem is so important. Um, and I can really see like my skills kind of translate from like building Nuclear Dojo into Pillar and helping them like with their Frequency Bio program, for example, right. or um, their founder-led biotech summit. Um, so a lot of VCs really just sourcing. It's like, you know, you can't just Google like, what are the top companies right now that are like not known about? Cause you have yeah. to go and find those companies. So yeah, and it's a lot of like relationship fostering, like I said too, like, you know, keeping relationships alive, like following people's journeys early on, seeing how you can help them in any way um, and help them grow and really invest in people's personal growth. It's like not even monetary investments, but just like a personal investment Mm -hmm. in like the people that you talk to. So it's like, yeah, and I think that's so important just generally speaking, like not even in VC, but anywhere, like relationship building is super important. Um, Not just like, you know, in a, in the, in a transactional way of like how is someone can help you and how you can help them, but like just having a support system around you and having people cheer you on is so important. Um, there's a reason why, like, you know, there's so many accelerator programs now because like starting a startup in the past was so lonely. Right. Um, and now like you have like these really fun like spaces, like, you know, <laughs> we went visited MIT innovation lab the other day. And their space is so much fun. Like they have like, you know, sewing machines and like LED lights and whiteboards and like they have like literal sandboxes and it's like <laughs> a really fun. They have like colorful chairs and it's just such a collaborative and fun space to be in and it's less lonely. So it's just like in general, I think that's just super important. Yeah. So right now you are in Boston, right? Or Cambridge. And so I, I guess part of this relationship building and, uh, finding unknown biotech founders and startups is about also being in in these hubs right like like Cambridge which is for biotech so but you've also experienced I guess that Toronto biotech hub so which are some of the differences you've noticed uh, between these two yeah well I feel like it's not fair to compare Boston to Toronto because Boston's just been around here much much longer time Um, and even SF right like um, you know, it started off as like hardware um, and Intel. They developed their like superconductors there and semiconductors there as well. I don't, I don't know. I don't know much about hardware, but like hardware is like the like computer, like the actual like hard computer, like physical mm-hmm. computers were all built around there, right? So like tech has been brewing there for a very long time. Same with Boston. Like Harvard's been around since like like the sixth, like the seventeenth century. <laughs> um, so it's had time to like you know, attract biotech talent. And there's like 15% of the world's biotechs are all in Boston, you know, one kilometer radius with each other, just crazy. Um, And it took a lot of time, right? Toronto is still a very like new city, I would say, compared to like other areas. Like UFT is very old too. It's like built in like the 19th century. Um, But even then, like, of course, tons of things came out of UFT, like insulin, right? Huge discovery that came out of there. Um, I think something about stem cells came out of U of T too. Um, but yeah, like there's just like, it's just a cultural difference too. Like with the US, it's always been like very ambitious and, you know, the American dream kind of thing. <laughs> Whereas with Canada, it's like, you know, I kind of call it a retirement country. <laughs> Is it more chill? You know, we, 
yeah like you you go there you have a good time you go to a cottage you know and you just kind of chill you have good health care <laughs> very much retirement right um but like yeah and i guess like people in canada just tend to be less ambitious because things are just like they're just good you know like people are just comfortable with like what things are so it's like why should we go out of our way to mm-hmm. change the world when things are perfectly okay right now um and i'm just speaking from my own personal experience obviously this might not be the general consensus of like canadians how do you feel about that like do you feel like your mission aligns more with uh, the canadian environment or the u.s one i mean there's a reason why i moved to boston for Canada, <laughs> right? yeah okay. um yeah i just felt like in canada like people are generally just less ambitious um and it's not a bad thing but i feel like some people want to go out of their way to like you know solve the world's biggest problems or whatever and they want to develop the skills and be in those environments and they feel like so passionate about certain problems and i feel like toronto is like it's a nice place to be in um we have a really you know we have really great ai hubs for example like we're building uft's building a giant building um for around AI and biotech, which is amazing. Um, but yeah, there's just not enough people. But I think if I think if America like doesn't change their immigration laws, I think Toronto might be slowly getting out of the curve because Canada has really good immigration laws, for example. Like um, there's so much talent that comes to the US from abroad, but they can't, they're not like valued as much as they would be back home, for example, right? Um, we're in Canada, like, you know, we have really cool researchers from like Israel who can immediately get like a postdoc job and it's not a problem. But over here, it's like, oh, you have to redo your degree. Like there's so many stories of like immigrant families where they have to redo their medical degrees, um, because it's not worth much here, but it's like, you learned the same, like humans are humans, no matter where you go. <laughs> math world, is right? math. Yeah. Yeah. Math is math. Like biology is biology. Why is it different if someone got like their degree from like another country? Versus, like, why does it have to be, like, American bread? So it's, like, Canada's very, like, lenient with that, and they're always welcoming new people. So that might be a factor, but then weather sucks there. So that could also be a factor, too. But, you know, something else that I noticed, I guess, about U of T is I, you know, when I was looking at university options, I couldn't find, like, a specific bioengineering program there. There was, like, the biology one I I would say, and that one has, I think, uh, like um, concentration in immunology. Is that right? So I kind of yeah. see this probably this trend towards like immunology therapeutics internal, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. There definitely is um, a big immunology scene in Toronto, um, like Studybrook, and has like a really good immunology. Like, there's really good research in that area. Um, U of T is a very theoretical university, mm. um, which is why like a lot of people don't recommend you do like a like a CS degree there because it's very like theoretical. So like it's a good place to do graduate school, um, but for undergrad like not really because in undergrad like I notice a lot of my classes are about you know the new hottest trends in biology, but it's mm. not like the fundamentals and um, you know Warren Chan, one of the researchers in nanomedicine at U of T, says too, but he noticed that like a lot of people from other universities like know core biology really well um but people from U of T know like the latest trends really well um so it's like a lot harder for you to like 
think about how you want to do an experiment if you don't really know the fundamentals that well. Um, so, you know, I wanted to learn biology really well in the UFT and I, I did learn, like, my first and second year classes were, like, very fundamental. Um, but then third and fourth year, it's a lot about, like, there's this course on sleep or there's this course wow. on, like, new cancer immunotherapies, and that's really cool. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, I feel like I'm still lacking a lot in, like, fundamental biology that I wish I could learn. And, you know, with, with PhDs, for example, you learn how to conduct things really well, but I feel like in an under certain undergrad programs, like if it's only concentrated for the four years and like core biology knowledge and like how to run like a PCR really well, or like really, really well, um, or do certain experiments really, really well, um, that could, I feel like some undergrad programs could put more emphasis on that. Um, and U of T kind of just like, rushes the process and it's just like great impact right now but it's like <laughs> i need the tools to do so right right um the fundamentals. i feel like that's kind of where it's shaky yeah mm-hmm. but that's also why uft is a really good graduate school because it focuses on the frontier cutting edge like there's so many like they, they have this like whole boundless um campaign and we make fun of it all the time mm-hmm. but i talk about like you know can you use oil to cure malaria things mm-hmm. like that that's interesting because I actually saw it as the opposite. You know, I saw like, oh, if there's not maybe a bioengineering program and rather they're bi- rather a biology one, it may be because they're focusing more on the fundamentals. But anyways, um, what what is the hardest biology, yeah, biology concept you've learned so far or something that you wish you'd been taught, actually? Um... I would have loved to actually do a chemistry degree. Really? <laughs> um, what? <laughs> no. Because I think, because biology is cool, but if I want to get to the really core fundamentals, chemistry is where you can change molecules to do things or do different drugs. Because mm-hmm. ultimately when you're developing drugs, it's a lot about chemistry and toxicity. Like how do you make sure your drug's not toxic to the body? And that all comes down to how your compound interacts with different compounds in your body that naturally work. Um, like we have like zinc in our body and different metals, and it's like how does that react with like um, the compounds that you're producing, right? Or even medical devices, right? Like biosensors, like that's all chemicals, mm-hmm. all chemistry. Like my teacher once told me this when like high school, and it's so true. It's like physics is first, and then biology, like physics is like the voodoo stuff, <laughs> and then chemistry is like the voodoo stuff and like concrete. Like I don't explain this like like very neat organized way and then biology is the application of chemistry so i feel like that's kind of why people go from like physics to chemistry to biology because you kind of see like the how it all relates to each other um because there's certain like dna mutations comes down to physics right mm-hmm. um and that's like crazy to think about but it's like there's this crazy paper that was talking about like how quantum entanglement yeah. contributes to more mutations. Quantum biology. And it's like, man, yeah. like biophysics is so cool. And it's like, I wish more people did biophysics, but it's also really, really, really hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and it's really like uh, basic science. You can, only see, you can only see the application like far in the future, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you don't know why your like stem cells not growing until you, like if you really want to get to the fundamentals, <laughs> it has to do with physics, right? Right. Um, but then that's like a whole thing on its own. So it's like, let's let the physicists do the physics stuff. The biology do the biology stuff. But it's like, I wish there was more like, you know, people would talk to each other. Like there was just this one giant lab, like the church lab kind of thing. But for like 
physics and biology and chemistry it's like you have like a physics department and a biology department and a chemistry department and then mm-hmm. you guys like talk together about like the findings huh. about the same problem like that'd be really cool yeah it would <laughs> well i know that you have a hard stop so last question i'll ask you is any advice for newcomers to the biotech field just talk to as many people as you can and don't be afraid to reach out um like don't don't be like oh i need a website i need this i need that like just reach out to people <laughs> and naturally they'll become your mentors because they'll see your growth so i think it's actually better if like you come to them from like a like a rocky area and it's like i don't know what i'm doing and then they <laughs> can kind of like help foster your growth and then you know they they'll, they'll be more invested in you as a person and then you have a really good mentor which is always a good thing to have so yeah awesome well Thank you so much for sharing all these stories and insights and knowledge with us. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Obio podcast. Remember that the best way to support me as a biotech content creator and bio developer in the making is by sharing this episode with your friends on social media, anywhere you can. I'll see you in the next one.